Well, welcome everybody. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Welcome online people. Welcome to all my maskless friends and Chad. Good to see you guys this fine, this fine morning. Um, well, ha- some of you have been to interviews before. Some of you have been interviewees um, or the interv- interview- interviewers. Thank you so much. Um, when you go to an interview, though, one of, the, one of the questions is, you know, what are some of your strengths? And so if you're going to go to an interview, what are, what are some of the strengths that you would that you would articulate to the person interviewing you? What are some of them? Experience. Experience, yeah. Dependability. Which one? Dependability. Dependability. Yeah, Jan, great. What else? Emotional look nice? Did someone say look nice? <laughs> that can I like that. What else? Emotional intelligence. That wasn't even a thing like 10 years ago. I got my job before that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> what else? A couple other ones? Timeliness. Timeliness or kindliness? Yeah, punctuality. You, punctuality. Number one, that's it, punctuality. And then so you'd say, hey, what are your strengths? You kind of give them your strengths, you know? And then they'll always go, well, then what are some of your weaknesses? And, uh, and this will always gets kind of tricky, but what are, what are some of the weaknesses that you might share? Maybe not for you, but the person sitting next to you, maybe. What were some things? <laughs> your ego, yeah. What else? Workaholic. Workaholic. Yeah, that's my favorite one. I'm glad you brought that up. I always love those ones, right? What's, what's, what's your biggest problem that you bring? Oh, I just work too hard. I'm going to do too good of a job for you. That's, that's my problem. Um, you know, too much honesty, that's my problem. Well, I was thinking about that um, a lot lately because I actually have a shadow side. Um, I have a, something that is actually a negative, but it sounds like a positive. And here's what it is. I am actually too good of a friend. It's true. I'm too good. It's, it is a liability. This is how much of a friend I am. Um, if, you, if you've ever seen a baseball game, a pitcher, you know, sometimes they'll hit the batter, and the batter gets hit, and the batter will charge the mound. But then there's the guy in the dugout who's like, I'm not leaving my batter alone, or I'm not leaving my pitcher alone, and they rush the field, right? And they bring everyone in the dugouts with them. They bench clear. That's what it's called. It's called bench clearing. And they go out into the field, and then they just fight each other. I know Denise is like, I don't think so. No, but I'm telling you, that's the kind of friend I am. I don't care. If you were my friend... If you are in my circle, if you like think of, imagine like a Lego, right? They have like, they have like six little dots. If you have a connector on that dot and someone wrongs you, I'm bench clearing, come right or wrong because it's, it's both a gift and a liability. I am so loyal and I am so, I love my friends deeply. If you are outside of that circle though, Sorry, right? It's no bueno. And, I, and this is what's hard. Like, I live near a high school. I'll drive past high school, the high school lunch. And I see all these teenagers everywhere. And I'm just like, look at these kids. Go to class. Why are you wearing pajamas? Like, oh, what's the future of America? But then I come here on a Wednesday night, and I see our high school kids. And I'm like, oh, this is it. These are the kids. These are the people who are going to change the world. And, uh, and it's that way with all. The, if you are at Marin Covenant, you are my people. Right? If you, if, if you text me and your name comes into my phone, you are my people. Right? If I get a text from someone that says, Benjamin, oh, boom. That's a, that's a tell. You, I don't know you. You don't know me. And you get nothing. Now, I got a phone call. Uh, I got a text last week from a friend of mine. and said, you'll never guess what happened, but I actually need some time with you. And I'm like, whoa. And it was like, you know, it was an hour late. I was like, at the end of the day, I'm in my pajamas. like, whoa, he's my guy. He's on my Lego. And so what I did, I, right, I put on my pajamas, I took my pajamas off, put on my real clothes, went and met this guy, and we had a great and incredible time because he's my guy, because he's part of my tribe, right? I love my people. I love my tribe to the death. 
And that's just my people, right? Imagine your family. Your family, you take that, it's even more. And, uh, and I love my kids, and I will do anything for them. And, and I think I'm a very generous dad, a very gracious dad. And usually, this, this, doesn't get pick, this doesn't get poked at me, but last week, my daughter was in a play. And, uh, and you know, she was, she was kind of pouty, and I couldn't tell. There's something happening. I couldn't really tell. But I didn't care because I'm watching her the whole time. Even if she was in the back, like the, the dancing, she was in the back. I'm like, get out of the way, the person in front. I don't even care who that person is. I'm looking at my daughter because she's my kid because I love her. And there's something going on. But I was like, oh, what's going on with her? But I was loving her. And uh, she gets in the car, and we drive home. And she's like, I'm really upset. I said, what is going on? And she says, so-and-so, who's a senior, said that I have no business being in this class and I don't have a good stage presence and I don't ever want to do this again. Oh. So you said, oh. I'm like, no. Where is that kid? I'm like, describe me that kid. And all of a sudden, this precious kid made in the image of God became the enemy. I'm like, I'm going to his house. I'm throwing bricks in his window. Like, you mess with my daughter, right? Because... But here's the deal. God made us that way. God made us to be tribal. God made us to care for our family. God made us to say, you are my person. I am yours, and I'm going to love you fiercely. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to have your back. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to sacrifice for you because you are mine, and I am yours. That's the way God made us to be. And this morning, we're going to take a look at John chapter 10, at the ministry of Jesus, because Jesus does that. Jesus loves us fiercely. The way that Jesus loves you and the way that Jesus loves me makes the way that I love my daughter look like nothing. That's how much he loves us. And he longs, just like we long for the people in our tribe and the people in our families to have a full and abundant life, to be protected and known and cared for. God does that a million times over. And so open up your Bibles and we're going to take a look at John chapter 10. And as you can tell, this is the 10th week. Can you for 10 weeks we've been in the book of John? We're going to take a break for Advent and then we'll jump back into John 11 starting in January. But this is where we find ourselves today, John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, Verse 10 is my all-time favorite um, memory verse, right? It says, and you might notice this, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or abundantly. That's the way I memorize it. But the, but the right way that we're going to say is to the full, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the Okay, come on, people. We're talking about an abundant life here, and you're like, full. You're like, worse than my kids, but I love my kids. I love you guys, right? Life to the full. There you go. Ashton, I got your back. So that's the deal. So that's Jesus saying, listen, you are my people. You are my sheep, and I am the shepherd. And the kind of life that we're going to have, this kind of relationship we're going to have, is going to be one where I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to care for you. And if you stay close to me, you're going to have this life and have it to the full. All right, so here we are in John chapter 10, verse 10. That's what we just did. But then it goes on in John chapter 10, verse 11, says this. It says, I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on to say some things. But let's just stop right there. I am the good shepherd. So here Jesus is. He's speaking to a bunch of Jewish people. That's where he was, right? He was in, outside of, you know, in Palestine, first century Palestine. These were all Jewish people. They've all, now they didn't have TikTok back then. They didn't have Netflix on demand. They didn't even have the radio. For back, you, some of you guys listen to radio. That's why I hear there was a thing back then, right? They had none of that. They didn't have books. So what would they do? They would actually talk to each other. Crazy. And what's crazy is they would actually tell stories in the scriptures together. And because they didn't have all that other junk in their head, they actually memorized the scriptures. And most of these guys had the scriptures memorized in their minds. It was in their being. It was the stories that they talked to that shaped all of who they were. So Jesus says to this group of Jewish people, says, I am the good shepherd. 
And like, let's see, like good Jewish people, they would go, oh, I bet he's talking about what? Where in the Old Testament, which would have been their scriptures, are there passages about being a shepherd? Psalm 23. Psalm 23. That's right. In the first service, there was someone who was like, Ezekiel something. I'm like, yeah, there was always the one kid who knew in Ezekiel, they did talk about a shepherd. But all those normal people um, who barely passed Jewish school go, oh, but at least there's Psalm 23. Right? And we know Psalm 23 because for every funeral for the last 2,000 years, part of the, the, the funeral liturgy is Psalm 23. It's an important scripture in the life of the church. It's an important scripture in this moment of death and sorrow to recognize that even in death, even in the valley of the shadow of death, it is a moment. But you didn't realize this, but in the Jewish liturgy, at Jewish funerals, they, they said Psalm 23. Christians didn't just come across Psalm 23 and like, oh, this is so cool. No, so for basically for 3,500 years, Psalm 23 was this anchor verse in the life and death and the story of a community. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And you go Psalm 23, but these guys had this on lock. They weren't like, oh, that's Psalm 23. What, what do they think? They go, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, that's immediately what's going on in his head. I lead you along the path of righteousness for my namesake. How good is God that he leads us to these beautiful places of rest. But we also know that even if we walk through the darkest valleys, he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. So this full and abundant life that Jesus is talking about is not saying life's going to be perfect. Your bank account's going to be flush. Everyone's going to love you. You know, if you swipe left on Tinder, it's going to work out for you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I'm going to be with you in these moments of rest and refreshment. And even in the darkest um, moments, I am going to be with you. He then goes on to say, I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of my enemies. That even in a moment of betrayal and relational challenge or awfulness, even then he set out this table of friendship, of relationship, of warmth. that says, come and to buy table and eat with me, have dinner fellowship with me. So I'm going to anoint your head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? Forever. That was in them. I'm not that smart. It took a long time for that to get into me, but that was in them. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, that's immediately all of that, that giant picture, that giant well of God's goodness, his love, his provision, his protection, his care. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, I am the good shepherd. Yes, so good. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of nice to take a little pause in all of the chaos that happens in a week. We come to church and we get reminded, Psalm 23, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus loves me. So good. That was just the first three words. Let's go on and see what it says. So Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How do you know if someone is in your tribe or not? How do you know someone's in your tribe? Because you are willing to sacrifice for them. You are willing to lay down your life for them, right? You can say, I love you to anybody, but how does someone know if you love them? They know that you love them because you are willing to sacrifice for them. You are willing to be with them, not when it's easy, but when it's challenging, right? My buddy Jim calls, I'm willing to get out of my pajamas because I love him, right? 
Now, what's crazy is we live in a moment where we do not know how to lay down our lives for each other. We live in like the most selfish moment of all time. We don't even know how to sit down and watch the same TV show anymore together. Isn't that crazy? You just get on your device, you get on your device, you get on your device. We can't even watch the same TV show. Back in the good old days, we'd drive somewhere and you have to listen to something all at the same time. We don't even do that anymore. Right? Those are the most basic things. But if we can't even listen to the same music, we can't even watch the same show, how do we even pick a restaurant? How do we even have a relationship? We do not know how to get outside of ourselves. We do not know how to do anything that's not of ourselves. A bunch of your friends call you and say, hey, we're all going to eat. And you say, where? Oh, I don't like that food. Back in the good old days, it didn't matter where you went. It was like, oh, my friends called because we're going to go somewhere to eat, right? We are so selfish and self-absorbed. And the good shepherd is such an anathema that he says, no, if you want to know if they're your people, you lay down your life for them. Right? I think for my friends, man, I will do anything for my friends, even more so for my family, right? I'm trying to be a good dad and a good husband, and I'm trying to save money for college, which, oh my gosh, how is that even possible, what's happening in college? I wish my kids were more stupid, and that's like me, and then I would have to pay for college. But because I love them, I'm willing to take some money and put it aside, so hopefully help them pay for college. I'm willing to take some money and not go travel somewhere extravagant and put it away for my retirement so that when I'm old, I'm not going to have to live with them and their spouses and have them be all bitter at me, right? Well, that may still happen, but right? I'm sacrificing. I'm taking different sacrifices because I love them. I'm willing to give up certain things of my own for their love and for their affection and care, right? And Jesus proves it. He says, listen, I love you. And he just do a big banner and said, listen, people, God loves you. You're like, that's great. But the reason we know God loves us is because he laid down his life for us. We're getting ready to celebrate the Advent season and Christmas. And Christmas is this picture. Jesus, we think, oh, a little baby or the like, perf- nice hair with the, with the blue sash. That's not Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits in a throne in heaven with all the angels worshiping him. Like, that's Jesus. And yet Jesus gave all that up to be born in a manger, in a poor family, to be a nomad, to serve his creation who wouldn't get him, who wouldn't understand him, who would spit on him, persecute him, and ultimately kill him. Right? He did that. That was his sacrifice so that we would understand the heart of God, what it meant to know God, what it meant to live the way that God wants us to live and ultimately die on the cross to cover all of our sins. So all of the things that would separate us from God, there'd be a way for us to actually be in his presence. And Jesus made all that possible. That was his sacrifice Jesus is the good shepherd. And the reason why he knows he's the good shepherd is because he already proved that he would lay down his life for us. Goes on in verse 14, it says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And what I think is so interesting about this idea that I know my sheep and my sheep know me is in every religion, in every world philosophy, if you're agnostic and for sure if you're atheist, you know what we as Christians really do know but don't really want to think about, which is that our lives are meaningless. We are vapors. Like we are here now and we are gone in a second. Now, 150 years from now, nobody is going to remember us. Nobody's going to remember our names. We are here for a second. Have you ever seen those little videos, right? It's like, here's Marin, and then here's California, and then here's the United States, and then here's the world, and here's our solar system. And like within like five seconds, it's like, oh, yeah, we're nothing. It's like, we are nothing. In every world religion, in every philosophy, everybody knows that and has to wrestle with that. But what's so incredible is Yahweh, the God of the scriptures, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Yahweh knows us. Not humans, he knows you. 
He knows you personally. He knows me personally. I love it in the psalmist in Psalm chapter 8. Right, he, he wrestles with this tension. He says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's like he didn't have that little cool little YouTube that zoomed out. He just knew in his guts how majestic is your name in all the earth for you have set your glory in the heavens. He knew in his guts the power of God, the mightiness of God, the giant, my mom will be so mad at my adjectives. You know what I'm trying to say. But then he goes on in verse four, what are humans that you are mindful of them? What are human beings that you would care for them? Like that is such a crazy topic, a crazy understanding. We take it for granted, but this is the way that God wants his people to understand. This God who's majestic over all creation knows you, loves you, sees you. Psalm 139 is an entire psalm that just is this love letter of God speaking to his creation. Verse 17 says this, How precious of me are your thoughts! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake, I'm still with you. It's just this love song over and over again, recognizing that you were uniquely crafted in your mother's womb. That God knew your time and your place. God knew your unique passions and gifts. He even knew the challenges and the ways that he was going to walk through those. He knows you. He loves you. He, he knows his sheep by name, and they know him. It's the most elementary teaching. And if you've been around the church, we just get inoculated to it. And we come to church on a Sunday morning and we hear a song, we see a sermon, we're like, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? I've known that since we were little tiny kids. But really quick, I just want us to pause because we can't get to the next part of what Jesus has to say unless we understand the fierce love and affection that God has to us, but not just to us, to you. Right, to Roberta, to you, Tony, to you, Ronnie, to you, Lane, right? He knows you, Meg. He knows you. He loves you, Denise. He sees you. He's not just talking about random, you know, walking through the, the green gardens and, and the, the, the streams and the valleys of the shadow of death. He's talking about your valley of the shadow of death. He knows you. He loves you. I love it. Our kids for Advent, they're getting these Advent boxes. And one of the things they're going to get are these 12 affirmation cards. Because, right, we want our kids to know who are they in Christ. Who are they in Christ? Man, they are loved, they are known, they are brave, they are strong, they are capable, they have purpose. We want our kids to know that, and we want our kids to know that, and we want to know that. But yet, somehow we go, oh, that's nice, God loves me. But we will miss out on all that God has for us, that all that God longs for us to be if we just skip over this very simple and very true reality. Right? Some of you guys have been married for a long, long time. Good job, Raj. I'm trying to get there. Kay and I have been married, getting to be a long time. I thought, right, you say I love you when you're, when you're married and you don't do anything stupid, anything really stupid, and then they should just know that they love you. But that's not how it works. I'm learning. The way that they know it, that you love them is every day, day in, day out. Right, John? This guy loves it. Right? He knows what it's like. Your wife's your best friend. Day in, day out. I am never going to stop making sure I ooze love and affection and words of affirmation and care to my wife. And I'm a human being, right? And she would be like, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not doing a good job. I'm just confessing that. But that's, I know how it's supposed to be. So we come to church and even we go, oh, God loves me. We have to stop and smell the roses. Have you heard that little example, right? You have to stop and smell the roses. There's roses everywhere. We need to stop. And we need to recognize that God loves not just us, but you individually. You are in his tribe with a fierce and loyal love. <sighs> Isn't that good? Can't forget it. Okay. 
Now for the hard part. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yes, praise God. Verse 16, now I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. This is what's so hard because most of us are really just second graders when it comes to our spirituality. We love that God loves us. We come to church because we need to be reminded that God loves us. We forget that God loves us. We're, we're second graders. We're back and forth and back and forth. But here's what's crazy. That fierce and loyal love that God has towards you, he has for sheep who aren't yet part of this pasture yet. That whole thing. We are tribal people. We are made to be tribal people. We are made to defend our people to the death. That is how God made us. But the trick is God's tribe is way bigger than we could ever understand. I love this, this, this picture in Revelation chapter 7. It says this, After this I looked, this is a picture of heaven, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, holding out palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, most of us are here because at some point, while we were enemies, while we were in big time doing stupid, rebellious, troubling things, while we were just setting fires to everything and everyone, while we were sinners, it was at that moment that Jesus came and he plucked us. He revealed his grace, his mercy, his love, and he began to forgive us and heal us and transform us. And we've been on this journey towards Christ ever since, wanting to be made more and more into the image of God. But somewhere along the way, we're like, I got mine, peace out to everybody else. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Absorb all of this fierce love that I have for you. But don't forget there are sheep who are not yet of this pen. And I love them with a fierce love, just like I love you. Just like you sing all the songs about how much God loves you and you read scriptures, all the ones about how much God loves you and all the ways that God's walking with you in this darkest valley, I actually am doing that to others that you don't even know about yet. And the invitation is for us to partner with God in that ministry, to move past the second grade theology into a, a college level theology where we understand all that love is for us, but then we also want to pass it on to other people. And it is a challenge. And so what I'd love for you to do is to think about for a second, like I love this little picture, right? There, you can actually see the pen because there are people in our world, there are people in your world right now who are just like this half step away from the pen. You're like, oh, you're so close, little sheepy. You're so close, right? They're like, they were a part of our church for a second or they walked away or they, they, they were here for a minute or they're just so warm hearted to the things of God. It's like they're just outside the pen and God has put you in their place to walk with them, to be the mantle of the shepherd and walk with them into the, into the pen. That's your gift. Last week, Jeff, right, we talked about that Jesus is the light of the world, but you are the city on the hill. All this stuff happens because you are the ones that are partnering with the love of God. Like God does this through his body, 
The way that Jesus makes things happen is through you, through me, through the body of Christ. So we have this elementary school level, which we need and we need to be reminded of day in and day out. And then there's this college level where we go, can I be the person who extends that love and that grace and that invitation to somebody? Before I move on, just think about that person. Do you have that person in your life? Okay, some of you, though, are tryhards, and you want to go, there's got to be more. We're talking doctorate level here, okay? <laughs> doctorate level. Okay, you have this fierce love of God for you, and you're like, I get me. I get that God loves me. I'm all about it. Oh, these people, they're my neighbors. They're my family. I don't totally get them, but I get that God loves me. I don't know about you, but man, my social media was not kind this week. Not the prettiest version of humanity that I saw. And that's just in one tiny, that's just online, let alone in the real world with real interactions. Right? There are people who I'm like, oh God, Ezekiel, man. Bring your Ezekiel version of your love and judgment to them. Right? I'm, I, they are not part of my pen and I want God's judgment on them because I'm still an elementary school kid. But those of us who want to move to graduate level, to PhD level, Here's what's crazy. The people who just set you off in your family, online, in the world, out there, whoever they are, whoever you've just cut off and go, those people are a dreg. They are the worst people. They are making the life and culture and world the worst. Here's what's crazy. PhD level love and affection. I mean, understanding that God's fierce love for you that you've soaked up since you were a kid singing it in church is actually for them too their darkest valley, their anxieties, the things that they are all spun up about that you have no idea about, their brokenness, their broken family system, their heartache and heartbreak and all the inappropriate ways they're living it out. God sees them and loves them. And God actually wants to use you to be an ambassador of grace and mercy to them too. Second Corinthians, Paul, I just think, paints this beautiful picture of what he's talking about here. He says this in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All of this, right? See, we weren't always God's favorite kids, right? We were reconciled by the blood of Christ, and by faith in Christ, we are now adopted into his family. And because of all of that, we get to be his daughters and sons, all of that is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and now has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's given us. God doesn't need us to be the justice people, hitting people over the head with swords and, and hammers. No, we are the ministers. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, not counting your sins against you, and he has committed us this message of reconciliation that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on God's behalf to be reconciled to God. And this is the invitation that God has given us. Over here, we just need to be healed up, people. We need to soak up the goodness of God's fierce love. But the invitation is to put on the mantle of Christ, right? to put on the cloak of Christ and say, listen, we are not only absorbers of God's love and affection, but we are the hands and feet 
of Christ. We are going to be ambassadors of reconciliation, not holding people's sins against them, just like God didn't hold them against us. And we work towards compassion and mercy and justice as we walk people back to the pen of Christ. That is the invitation that we have. It's a hard one. At least this is for me. It's hard. I'm an elementary school person, but thankfully some of you are more. So here's a a gentle invitation. Um, On your seat is a little card, and it's just a simple little uh, Christmas card. And uh, what I'd like you to do um, is to think of what... Think of this college-level people, right? The people who are just outside the pen. Um, there are people in your world that God has given you to walk with, to be an example of Christ's love and affection. And our church is, like, we're not the only church. We're not the church. We're just an expression of the church. And we are kind of a physical manifestation of, like, the pen. We're a pen. And we get to be, as a church, we get to help people know Christ. And so part of helping them come to, to church is a way of helping them come be a part of the pen, which helps them move towards Christ. And so what I'd love for you to do is think about this Christmas season, which you may not realize this last was COVID was last Christmas. We've all like missed a year, over two years since we've had good, warm-hearted Christmas traditions and um, all the feels. And for our church, we're doubling down. We're going to spend all Advent soaking up all of the family goodness of what Advent is supposed to be. And so would you consider praying for that person that God put on your heart? And maybe invite them to be a part of church. Maybe invite them to be a part of the family of God. Maybe remember, help them remember that they used to be part of the family of God. And this is a great time to step back in. And would you be willing to write them just a little note that expresses your affection toward them, your love for them? You've got to find it in, a, in words that work for you. But that's your heart, right? Man, I see you, prayed for you, love you. Would love for you to come join us, be a part of our church as we celebrate Christmas together. Write them a little note. Put it in this little envelope. If you put it in a table in the back, we'll mail it for you. Bring it home and mail it. Put it in your mirror and pray for them. Because church isn't just for us. It isn't just for us to sit and absorb God's goodness and grace and love for us, which is so good and we need that memory. But we're supposed to leave here empowered by the Holy Spirit to be ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation for those right in our sphere who God longs for us to be helping them move towards Christ and even for those who just drive us bonkers and we don't understand them in the slightest and our hearts are cold towards them, even them, God fiercely loves them and wants his people to love them as well. So what I want to do is I just want to give us a whole minute and a half to just be quiet. Think about this, right? What sort of love and affection do you need from God to receive that from him? to be seen by him? Who are the people that you could actually invite who are just outside the pen that God wants to use you to invite to be part of his family this Christmas season? Maybe even start writing them a note. Maybe for some of you, you're ready to step into the big leagues and love the real hard people, have an empathy towards them, a grace towards them and be the person that extends God's love towards them. So let's just spend a minute doing some business with God, and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, gosh, may that be a truth that's not just in our head, but is in our guts. That you, the almighty King of kings, creator of all things, also our Heavenly Father, who sees us 
who knows us by name, who oozes love and affection, who is the good shepherd, who walks with us in every season, who anoints our head with oil so our cup overflows. Lord, minister to us this morning. Give us a deeper understanding through your Holy Spirit of who we are as our true identities, as daughters and sons of the King. And as we embrace all of this love and affection, God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the power to truly be your body, to be your hands and your feet and your words. And that you would use us, that you'd use our little attempts, our little efforts, whether through writing a card or through a conversation or an act of love and service, that you would use our little efforts as part of your process to woo people into your kingdom. For the people that we can just see and are so close, I pray you'd build our hearts and that we'd be committed to be praying for them. And for those that are, we've let our hearts go cold to, God, I pray that you would do a work in us grow our hearts of empathy and grace and service to people that we do not understand so that we can be truly your ambassadors of reconciliation wherever you put us. Now would you please stand as we sing this next song, this beautiful love song. It is a song written from the heart of God directly to you. I pray that we would not just overlook the words, but that we would embrace this affection that you have towards us and that that love would build us up, that it would heal us, that it would remind us of our worth and that you would continue to heal us and forgive us, but then you'd also empower us. And I pray that you'd give us an imagination that this fierce and amazing love directed towards us is also directly and directed towards those in our world. So tune our hearts so they'd be more in line with yours. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful for the way you love us. Amen and amen.